thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. For more information, log on to Quinley.com. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome to Thread, episode 50. We've reached a milestone, and thank God for that. Today, I'm coming to you from a delightful new location. I am here in Brisbane, Australia, getting geared up for a board meeting with United Christian Broadcasters, but we're taking a few days and staying with our friend Christine Lehman and her girls, uh, Nikki, Ray, and Drew, and enjoying our time here, so... I'm on what they call the Gold Coast of Australia. Last night, Sherry and I uh, went out with Ian and Mandy Warby, and Ian is the head of United Christian Broadcasters for Australia. And he was uh, sharing with us some research that he had come across, and someone presented him research that says up to 80% of children and teenagers in churches in Australia will leave church by the end of their 20s and will never come back. I mean, that's huge. And if that's anywhere close to accurate, it simply says that what's being done in church while we have them there is not the transferring of a faith. They're not becoming disciples of Jesus. They're not uh, taking on a Christian worldview. The scriptures are not getting inside of them. Uh, and as we discussed more, you know, we both, we talked about the, the high entertainment level that a lot of churches are turning to and you entertain children with all kinds of things and, uh, in children's church. And then you get them in the youth group and you entertain them again. And then as adult, we're entertained with concerts and, uh, big speakers and all that. And it's just, we've got to change what we're doing. If we're going to lose a whole generation, you know, this is a catastrophe, And it points to the need to do verse-by-verse Bible study, just expository uh, or textual studies of the Scriptures and let the Bible speak and change how we think instead of just cutting little pieces of the Bible and putting them all together on a a topic that interests us. So um, that's what Thread's all about. We're going verse-by-verse as we look uh, at the book of Matthew. And today we're in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. So if you don't have your Bible, uh, please go and get one and come right back and join us for Thread. Thread. Okay, we're in chapter 14 of the Gospel of Mark. We're going to go verses 1 through 11. Let me start your mind on our subject by asking you a question. What thing do you own... This is an object. What thing do you possess that took the most work for you to be able to obtain? You know, uh, in in modern times, if you can, you can get credit, and then we can go ahead and have the thing, although we don't have the money to pay for it yet. And then little by little, we just uh, pay it off, but we already get the reward. But it's not always like that, and it hasn't been like that much in the history of the world. If you wanted something, you had to work hard to save the money up, and hope that nothing happened that took the money away. So you could then go and reward yourself or you know, lay hold of this thing. And uh, get in your mind what thing that you have that you had to work the hardest to come up with. And that's going to connect you to the lady in our story today. She had a bottle of perfume that was the value of an entire year's wage. 
So let's take a minimum wage wherever you're from uh, and think about that. Multiply that five times, uh, five days a week and just keep rolling that out and figure out how much. This is a lot of money. This is a huge amount of money. And I can only dream that she had this setback for her marriage, uh, for something that was going to be life changing for her. You know, there's no reason to have something this valuable. And we're going to see what love tells her to do with it. But let's get a little background. Uh, The week before, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. We're now into the last week of his life. He's come into Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. He's seated on a, a, a donkey and the people are throwing their coats in the street and waving branches and he's set up in Jerusalem. Now he's beginning everyday confrontational meetings in the temple. He's cleansing the temple and uh, stirring up great controversy from that. He's having open debates with scribes, Pharisees, with all those that are in leadership that have perverted the religion and made it just another money-making machine. And the tension is building. The religious professionals are intensifying their hate, and now it has turned to a plan for murder. That's amazing how dark a religious heart can be. Uh, It reminds me of that movie, Chocolat. If you've not seen it, I think it's a great one. Uh, How that, you know, when you get a little too austere and too self-righteous about your religion, your heart can get so twisted and you're just, you know, ah, just how the devil can get into this. And these guys just amaze me how the the ones whose hands hold the, the door open for the worship of Jehovah have become the darkest, most corrupt people in the nation antagonistic to uh, the work of Jesus. Let's read it. Chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. It says uh, they wanted to arrest him by, the Greek says, trickery. They, you know, these guys are full of guile. They've learned from a lifetime of play acting to appear one way in public and then to have their private true self come out when they're with each other. They're full of guile, pretending, uh, able to twist things, uh, having no respect for uh, righteousness and holiness. And if you notice, these guys have no fear of God. They have fear of the people. And performers, hypocrites... Uh, especially in religion. Uh, and, and I think we can, these guys are pretty much politicians. So we could group that there. Anyone who needs popularity and uh, large masses of people to follow them, they really feel the pressure from the people about the appearances of what they're doing. And so these priests and scribes are willing to murder a man. They just want to do it in a sneaky way. And they don't dare do it during the feast Unless it's in a sneaky way, they can't figure out how to how to kill him. They want him dead because Jesus has the largest audience possible, and he is making points every day. His arguments are clear. He's pointing out obvious, you know, an elephant in the room kind of thing. The th- things that they're doing that are just wrong. He's putting his finger on them, calling them what they are, and the pressure is building. They just want him gone. They want him dead. But they are afraid of the people. 
And with that as a background, we look at verse 3. It's, it's evening. Jesus is at Bethany, which is just, you know, it's a suburb. It's within Jerusalem. It's very, very close. He's at the home of Simon the leper. So this is either someone that has been healed of leprosy. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Maybe one of those, uh, remember when Jesus healed a whole big mass of lepers and one of them came back and was grateful. Uh, some church traditions say that's who Simon was. Uh, we don't really know. We just know that this is a man who certainly has been cleansed of his leprosy uh, because he wouldn't have been allowed to live in the city to start with uh, if he still had leprosy. And number two, we know we know Jesus. If he's in the house and someone has a fever or someone is diseased, he goes and deals with that. That has always been his practice as we follow him in his ministry. So he's at the home of Simon the leper. He's reclining at table. And the scripture simply says, a woman came with an alabaster, that's a, it's made of stone, alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard, very costly. And she broke that flask and she poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. The, uh, you know, that, that self-righteous judging, it, it was a murmur that started in the group. And then even his disciples took it up. Especially, we know that this affected Judas. Uh, the idea that this woman would take a year, something with that value, you know, let's say $15,000 minimum. And she's got this. And instead of just like trying to chip the corner of it and maybe pour a little bit out, she snaps the neck of the vial. It's a sealed vial because you can't let something this precious um, spoil. So it's been closed and sealed. And it's in a, a a vessel not made of glass but made of stone and so she takes and and whacks the top of it and breaks it off and then pours the whole thing out over Jesus head he's just completely you know bathed in this extremely aromatic uh, oil it fills the house you can smell it in the street it's going everywhere and you know there's a poetry in that too and what this kind of love this kind of sacrifice does and how it spreads and and it's a blessing it just moves throughout the house but instead of uh, being amazed at her love and at her sacrifice and at her devotion to Jesus in their self-righteousness they look at her and they judge her and they say you know how could you do this how could you waste that was the word they used how could you waste this you could have given it to the poor um and Jesus, he comes to her defense in verse 6. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? And that word trouble means to, uh, to push against you. And it's kind of like, let's say you had a big burden and you had to climb a hill. And it's a heavy thing to do anyway. And then someone's there just harassing you and pushing your body back and making it, you know, 10 times harder than it should have been. And he looks at her and she just made this sacrifice. Her heart told her to do it. Love told her to do this for the Lord. He's, he's burdened. He's dealing every day with this war that goes on. He comes home tired. 
his own disciples are frightened at what he's doing because he's raising the tension with these religious leaders. They have to actually come out of the city at night for safety and sleep uh, in Bethany, not in, in Jerusalem itself. And she sees his burden that he's bearing. They don't seem to notice it, but she notices it. And love tells her to do something. She gets an idea in her mind. And she gets that jar of ointment and she breaks it and you know, pours the total sacrifice, holds nothing back from the Lord. And that's how we should serve the Lord. But instead of being applauded for that, she's judged for it. It's, what have you done? You know, you've wasted. You could have helped the poor. And Jesus says, why are you making this so hard for her? Leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. I want to go back and look at this for just a minute. Verse uh, 6, he says, and it's a good question. Jesus is great at asking good questions. I think a, a spiritual um, a spiritual guide for other people, if you want to be that, it's not so much giving people uh, sermons all the time and you know, spouting off your ideas. It's questioning them. And Jesus is always asking why, and he does it right at the, the right moment. Their question to her was, why was the ointment wasted like that? And Jesus' question to them was, why do you feel the need to trouble her? He wants to know, you know, he wants them to look at their own inner motivation, the pride, the self-righteousness that's rising up in them. They're not out breaking their backs for the poor. You know, they do, they help the poor when Jesus tells them to help the poor. Um, they're not all you know, huge advocates of the poor. What is motivating this? She's showing them up. She's loving more than they're willing to love. And so, you know, the embarrassment that that causes is to say, we need to lower the bar. This lady is raising it up too high. She has done a good work for me, he says. Verse 8, she has done what she could. And the Greek says, literally, what she had, she did. She used... What was in her hands to do. And I think this is a word of encouragement to all of us because there are a lot of people out there and they feel their heart inspires them to serve the Lord and to do something for God. And when they go to do it, um, they don't feel like there's any place they can fit in because they're not an official religious person. They don't have a Bible school degree. They're not authorized by, you know, whatever church to be a something with a name and a role. And they're going, well, you know, but who am I to do these things? But yet our hearts draw us to serve the Lord. If you, if you love God and if the Lord has saved you and changed you and he's in your life, you're going to want to serve him somewhere. You're going to be frustrated if you don't have a place of service. And so sometimes you look to the official church to find you a place and you wait for your pastor to tell you something to do or to give you a role in the group. And I think this is a story that says you don't have to do that. Follow your heart. Whatever God puts in front of you, let love and let the idea that comes inside your head, just do what you can with what you have. Uh, I think I shared with you in our last broadcast 
about the brother in Burma, and I'm I'm just still so stirred up by his example. A single man, he goes to visit a village to uh, try to explain the gospel to these people. It's a Buddhist country. He's he's Indian actually, uh, but his his father lived in Burma, and so he looks different from them. But he speaks Burmese, and he goes in the village, and as he's teaching, you know, trying to get a group that'll listen to him. A lady walks up with a baby and says, I'm going to throw this child away, either in the river or I'm just going to throw him in a field. Do you want him before I do that? And this brother says, his heart tells him, you can't let her just kill a baby. And he says, yes, I'll take this baby. And so here goes a man back home that day with a child. He's single and he has no home. His home is a piece of dirt. I'm, I've seen it. It's it's just ground. It's, it's um, the size of a blanket. A piece of ground, and then he stuck four bamboo poles in the ground and made what's kind of like a carport with leaves on top just to keep the sun off. That's the entire house that this man was living in. What a hardship. And then he takes his child, only later someone notices what he has done, and because his heart is willing to take a thrown away child, they bring him another one. And in a few months, they bring him another one. And by the time Sherry and I and the kids went to visit him a few weeks ago, he has 14 boys still sleeping under that carport uh, on the dirt. Uh, a local brother there, uh, Robin, who we work with in Myanmar, Robin had taken $100 and built a little uh, bamboo house to get him and his boys off the ground so that they were you know, 12 inches off the ground for the flood season. That came by. I mean, that's the level this guy lives at. Every day is about trying to find food so they don't starve. And yet he did what he could with what he had in his hands. And he still tries it every day. You know, what can I do today for these boys? Only one of them is able to go to school, but he's doing what he can with what he has. And I think that's the true service of God that is a blessing to the Lord. You know, you look in this situation and Jesus right away connects this to his impending death. He knows that the end of this week is not going to go well for him. He is pushing the Pharisees and the scribes. He's got them in a corner. He continues to advance. He is revealing what they are to the people. He's standing as a prophet to judge their life and judge their uh, work as guardians of the worship of Jehovah and the temple of God and the teaching of the scripture to the people of Israel, and they are, they're so perverted and so twisted, and he is determined to bring judgment to them, and he's going to face them day after day, and this thing, by the end of the week, he's going to be murdered, and he knows it. It's going to be a horrible, vengeful, hate-filled, satanically inspired final humiliation of him in death, and he is preparing his mind to deal with that. He is trying to get mentally ready to face it. And uh, so here comes this woman, and I'm sure she doesn't know why she's doing this. She just feels like she's supposed to do it, and praise God, she follows that idea that gets stuck in her mind, and she just does the thing and doesn't count the cost, doesn't think about what this is going to cost her. She just, you know, broken and spilled out. She just abandons herself, serves the Lord in this way, and he is so inspired by it. He's so blessed with her. He knows that God has put this in her heart. In verse 8, 
She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial because they weren't able to anoint Jesus after his death. Uh, they didn't have time before the day. Uh, the sunlight went down and they weren't allowed because of breaking the Sabbath to touch him after that. And so this lady has done it beforehand. Verse 9, he says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And that scripture is coming true again today because I'm here talking to you about this exact woman and her sacrifice. Her love will become legendary. Because her act sprang from a real and sincere love. And my brothers and sisters, that's all God expects of you and of me. Follow that little voice. Now let's look real quickly, verses 10 and 11. This is the event that is the tipping point for Judas. Judas is frustrated with Jesus. He's aggravated. He wants to see power. He wants to see money. He wants to see opportunity. And the scripture says Judas... Um, held the money bag for the group and withholding the money bag comes a certain power and a certain uh, authority in a group because whoever's got the purse strings in any group uh, has some some clout. And some would look at different uh, times that Judas has mentioned, like when Jesus gave him the uh, the bread that night at dinner and said, who will betray me? And then the scripture says, and Judas, who was the one, uh, so either the one who uh, was to betray or the one who was the one. He's the money man in the group. He's the most uh, authorized in the group. So here goes Judas, who's been stealing the money that's been given him because Scripture says that. Then Judas, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests that very night in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, chief priests, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Uh, Judas is looking for a chance. And these priests would love to kill Jesus Jesus in public during the Passover. But they, they can't arrest him in front of people because people might come to his defense. They want to present it as a done deal. And when the people look up, he's already defeated, humiliated, and dying. And then that will strengthen their power and also crush the thoughts of anybody else who would want to join Jesus and uh, raise the same kind of accusations against them that he was raising. So this lady's love and her abandonment of money, not caring about the value of money, just loving God, using things, giving things away. The most valuable thing that she possessed was probably this ointment. And when her heart told her to sacrifice every drop of it without hesitation, she did it. So uh, I pray that her life will be an example to you and to me, that we will follow what love tells us to do, that we will never love money, that we'll follow the little voice in our head when the Holy Spirit speaks, and we will just do that. And whatever the sacrifices are that God calls on you and on me to do, uh, I just hope that we're going to find courage from this lady's example and follow in those footsteps. Because there's a, there's a big world out there. God has a lot of things he wants done. And he uses people who listen to the voice and don't hesitate to sacrifice for him. So God will call on you. And uh, I really hope that you will answer that call. Well, that's all for this episode. Uh, I have put a, um, what do you call this? A survey 
on Quinley.com about this show. And if you would answer that and help me, uh, I will be able to, to do a better job at planning thread for the months to come. So I would really appreciate if you'd go to Quinley.com and look down in the posts there and answer the survey about thread. And if you've got any uh, desire to talk to me about something, just email me personally, Chuck at Quinley.com. God bless you. Till next time on Thread. 